talking about Joseph. And Joseph, I just, I love reading about him. He's just such a great character, a great example in so many different ways. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was, he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he had, or the, all that he did to prosper in his hand. Notice what we're seeing with Joseph now is the same thing that we saw with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's just that blessing of God on his life. How God's hand was just on whatever these guys did, everything they touched, it just turned to gold. Remember how Laban, he said, I, I know that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Everything that Jacob did, God was blessing, you know, it was just blessing, he was prospering him, and this was because they were a special people, a chosen people, and God wanted to show himself strong in their life. And so we see Joseph, here he, he's really the only godly son of Jacob, and God's just blessing everything that he touches. And Potiphar, he's looking at Joseph and how everything he handles is just done well, it is blessed, and he just puts full trust in Joseph and he puts them over everything. And because everything Joseph touched, it prospered. And so in verse 4, it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over the house and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, a while back, some of the guys will remember this um, during men's leadership training. I went through this passage and we talked a lot about Joseph and used him as an example of a pastor because a pastor or a bishop is an overseer. And there's some really good principles, and I'm, this isn't what all I'm going to preach about, but I do want to briefly touch on this that a pastor is an overseer, and Joseph, he was an overseer of this house. Now, notice that Joseph. Even though he is an overseer, was Joseph the real boss? No, he wasn't. Potiphar was the real boss. Okay? Now, when it comes to the church, who's the real boss? The Lord's the real boss, isn't he? You know, the Lord is the chief shepherd. Okay? And the pastor is just an under-shepherd. He's an overseer that has been put over the church. And, you know, there's accountability to that. I even believe, <clears throat> earthly speaking, you know, I'm accountable to the congregation because as an overseer, I'm trusted with a lot. And this is why it is wicked when pastors betray trust and when pastors are doing wicked things, when they're, uh, when they're crooked with the money and things like that. We're an overseer. And you know what? As a church member, you shouldn't have to just be looking at everything I do under a microscope. You know, you don't want to do that. You know, you should be able to have a pastor that you can trust. And that's what, how a good overseer is. And Joseph was such a good overseer that Potiphar, he didn't even really know what was going on except for the bread that he ate. He just knew, hey, things are going good. My house is prospering. My wealth is growing. I'm eating good. My servants are happy. And it's all thanks to Joseph. And so Joseph, he was able to just kind of do what he wanted. And, you know, if a pastor is doing a good job, you know, the people in the church aren't going to have to worry about it all the time. They're not going to have to obsess over these things. And, you know, often this, it happens where things are going bad in a church. 
And all of a sudden, people start wondering, hey, what's going on? You know, that's usually, you know when people start asking a lot of questions about money? When they're struggling to pay the bills. You know, if, I, if when the pastor has to get up every Sunday and preach on tithing, you know, that's when people start saying, well, okay, if it's that bad, why is it bad? You know, what, what are we spending the money on? How much is coming in? But, you know, the truth is, when a church is doing well, when a pastor is doing a good job, they're not usually that worried about it. And, and that's how it was in Potiphar's house. You know, he wasn't, you know, looking at Joseph under a microscope. He just knew it was prospering. You know, he was doing good. But at the end of the day, that house, those possessions, they were not Joseph's. And this church, it is not my church. The money is not my money. The building is not my building. I am just an overseer, and I do believe I'm accountable. And I do believe, you know, a church has the right and should be able to remove a pastor if he's a bad overseer. I, I, I believe that with all my heart, and that's another subject for another day. But no, uh, so notice in verse six it says, "And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person." And well favored. So Potiphar, he completely trusts Joseph with everything. He said to the, to the point, he's not even paying attention. He's not even checking up with him. He's not making Joseph, you know, give file reports and things. He can just see that everything is going well. That's how prosperous Joseph was. Potiphar sees that things are going better now than they ever have since Joseph is here. You know, that's the way we ought to be in the workplace. You know, you ought to be the kind of worker that your boss doesn't have to look over your shoulder all the time. You ought to be the kind of worker where you don't, you're, you do such a good job, you don't have to tell the boss that you're doing a good job. You know, the guy in your company that's always talking about how he's the backbone of the company and how he holds the place together, usually is not the backbone of the company is not holding the place together. Anybody ever worked with somebody like that? This place is going to fall apart if I quit. You know, he's all, they're always mad about something and they're always ready to quit just to teach that company a lesson. And what they never know is that most people are thinking, please quit. Please do. You're a pain in the neck. You're a liability. But a person who is actually valuable to their company, they are going to be loved by their boss. If your boss hates you, there's probably a reason for it. You you might have some profit, but you're not worth it. And so he's going to have a problem with you. He's going to have a problem with you. And so if you have to talk about these things, it's probably because you're not all that you think you are. But when it came to Potiphar, he trusted Joseph. And he was, he, you know, he didn't have to check up on him, and that's the way we ought to strive to be that way. And you ought to have that kind of reputation. When I worked at the distribution center in Spring Valley, I remember one time a guy that I worked with who had a reputation for just having conflicts with people all the time. He was always having conflicts with people, and one day he decided to have a conflict with me. And what this guy would typically do, he would. Just badger people. He would bother them. And then he'd get people upset. And this guy had one of the filthiest mouths you ever heard. And they had a no swear policy there at the time that they didn't really follow closely. But if people made a stink about it, all of a sudden they would do something about it. So what he would do, he would badger people until they would cuss at him. And then he'd go tattle on them. And one day he decided to badger me. Okay. Now, I don't cuss. Okay. Not trying to brag, but I was just raised a certain way, and I, I just don't cuss. I don't even Baptist cuss or Bible cuss. Okay, I just I can't do it, I, and and I, I'm thankful I was raised that way. But you know, I, I've had many people try to get me to cuss, and they've always failed. 
One of the one of the goals of one of the workers is, is to get me to cuss one of these days. They came close a few times, but they never made it. But I remember he didn't get me to cuss, but I finally said, you know what, I'm done. I was supposed to be kind of helping in his area, and I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm done helping you, and I just left him alone, didn't help him anymore. So then he went to tattle on me for not helping him, and I'll, I'll never forget it because the boss came and talked to me, and he was just like, uh, yeah, Chris is upset, and you know, he, he said, you know, you did this, and you're not helping him and all that, and, and I told him, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. He's like, I was just like, you know, Tommy, really? You know, he, he's the one you're going to, you're, you're tattling on today? Because he was always having conflicts with people. And you know, I didn't get in any trouble because, you know, my boss trusted me. You know, he, he, and we ought to be that way. We ought to be that way with whatever we do. We ought to be people that someone can trust. And if you ever want to oversee anything, if you want to be in charge of anything, if you want to uh, be used more in your line of work or your business, you need to be trustworthy. You need to be somebody that people can count on, and if and if if God and if you do that, and God's blessing you, your your boss is going to be blessed because of you, and He's just going to want you doing more because you're profitable. And but most people today, they're just not like even Christians. Some of the sorriest people I've ever worked with are Christians, and that's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. But Joseph, he was trusted. It also says too in this passage that Joseph was a goodly person and well favored, so he was somebody that was good looking. He also had that going for him. And so in verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me, but thee, because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. And I love this because, I mean, again, the character of Joseph. And notice how Joseph recognized that while he had been put in charge of everything in the house, that his authority had limits. This is something a lot of pastors don't realize. That even though you have certain authority in the church, your authority is limited. Hey, folks, that's the way it is with all authority. Whether you're a president or a governor, you, your authority has limits and you should always stay within your realm of authority. And Joseph, while he, I mean, his boss, like, this house is your house. You decide what's to be done because God blesses you. At the end of the day, it's mine, but you do whatever you want. But when it came to his master's wife, that was only, a wife can only be the wife of one man. And she was Potiphar's wife. And Joseph could not do that. He could not do that sin against God, but he couldn't do that sin against Potiphar. He had been put in a position of trust and to betray that trust would have been it would have been extra wicked and listen adultery is a sin no matter what but this situation would have been worse because of the level of trust that had been given to him and we need to understand people who commit crimes in positions of trust they should be punished more pastors should get in a lot of trouble when they turn out to be perverts and child molesters and things like that they should be in big big trouble because People should be able to trust a pastor. Everybody knows, even the world knows, that a pastor is supposed to be a spiritual leader. He's supposed to encourage people to do good and to do right. He's expected to, you know, to, to be godly and Christ-like in some way. And so people should be able to trust a pastor. I mean, we shouldn't trust anybody too much. You know, don't leave your wife alone with another man just because he's a pastor. You know, be careful when it comes to your kids and things. But at the end of the day, 
you know, while I'm not telling you, you know, leave your kids at my house and you'll leave me alone with your kids, you should be able to trust me. You know, in, in a perfect world, there's not going to be a problem. You know, and I'm, you know, I, I know I don't have a problem in that area, but you know, not a lot of people thought that about their pastor, and it turned out to be false. And let me tell you something: when that kind of thing happens, these guys should be punished to the max. I, I mean, it, they get off way too easy. And same thing too with police officers. It, you should be able to trust the police officer. And when these guys abuse their power, when they abuse their position, I'm telling you, man, they ought to come down on them hard. They are, it, it's a very wicked thing to do. Betrayal is a horrible thing. And uh, you know, th- I believe that's one of the reasons the betrayal of Judas was so bad. Not just because it was Jesus that was betrayed, even though that does make it worse. Because you know, if you or I get betrayed, we ask for it sometimes, but Jesus did nothing wrong. But notice in Luke 22, you don't have to turn over there, in verse 47, it says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, now why did he say that? Because if the fact that Judas was able to approach Jesus like that, get close to him and kiss him, shows that he is a close friend of Jesus. You know, because you can't just get that close with anybody, can you? You know, we all kind of have our bubble, don't we? And, you know, there, when people invade that bubble, we all get nervous, don't we? But there are some people that are allowed to invade that bubble. You know, my wife is allowed to invade my bubble. You know, you know my kids, they can run up and, you know, you know grab me and hug me and, and, you know, get close to me and things like that. But, you know, uh, not everybody can do that. Okay. Now you all can get a little closer before I get nervous, you know. You know, but, you know, like I said, you can come and shake hands, pat me on the back. I'm not going to be nervous or weird or anything like that. You all are able to get closer to me than a stranger can. For example, if I'm out walking the street and somebody starts getting, you know, within a certain distance, I mean, I get a little nervous. In fact, I was just walking over to Casey's yesterday, and there was this uh, there was this girl, a teenage girl, that was walking over there too. And she was going slow. She's kind of on her phone. And I, I've only got one path I can go. But I was kind of getting close. And I could tell. I was like, this is probably going to make her nervous. And so I was like trying to go a different way and trying to cross the street. And it was like all of a sudden she realized I was behind her. And it was like she got freaked out because like she thought I was following her or something. And I was probably, with, you know, I, I didn't even get within 10 feet. But she was just walking in an area where there's not a lot of foot traffic. And I just happened to be going there at the same time. And it kind of made her nervous. And so you, we all know how, you know, we all need distance, all right? We've all, there's, there's, there's always been a social distancing, even before social distancing, wasn't there? You know, there, there, there was a, you know, it wasn't six feet, but, you know, you weren't supposed to get too close before it was socially awkward, okay? And so Judas is able to just come right up to Jesus and kiss him. That shows a closeness there. And for Judas to use something like that, to identify Jesus to the Roman soldiers so they could go and arrest him, that was dirty. That was dirty. It would have been better if he'd have been standing there with the Roman soldiers and be like, he's that guy over there. You know, that one standing there on the left or something like that. That would have been better. But the way he did it too, and then it looks, because I guess he did it too, probably trying to look like he wasn't betraying him. You know, because he knows the soldiers are going to come and arrest Jesus. He can act like he's just one of the disciples there. 
But Jesus knew what was going on. Je- Jesus knew he was, you know, he was pointing him out, betraying him. And when, I, when Jesus said that, I believe he said that with pain in his heart, to think that a close friend like that would do something that wicked. And that betrayal of Judas, that's what he's known for, betraying Jesus. And so betrayal is a horrible thing. Joseph, him taking advantage of this situation when he had been left with the amount of trust that he had been left would have been a very wicked thing to do to his master. And Joseph, he had too much character. He would not do something like that, and he didn't do something like that. So so when we allow people certain access, or when people allow certain access into their lives, we should never use that against them. And that is very hurtful when you do that. You know, when somebody invites you to their house, okay, that shows a, a certain level of trust. It would be it would be wicked for you to just go over to somebody's house. They invite you over as a friend, and then you decide, you know, you come over to my house, and you're, like, taking pictures and videos and things so you can, like, I don't know, try to expose me to my enemies. You know, you know how messed up that is? It, that's betrayal. I, I, I allowed you a certain level of trust, and then what did you do? You go in my bathroom, and you're taking pictures in our, of our medicine cabinet trying to see what pills were taken. You know, so you can post it on social media. That's none of your business. We don't even have a medicine cabinet. But I guess we do in the new bathroom, don't we? But uh, there's no pills in there. But, you know, that, that, that's just dirty, isn't it? That is a dirty, dirty thing to do, and you shouldn't do that. And so verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And, you know, we, ought to be, we do want to be careful about allowing ourselves to be in compromising situations, okay? I've heard people preach against Joseph in this part. I, I don't think Joseph was at any fault here. I think it was, he wasn't expecting it. I think it just happened, you know? And there probably wasn't anything he really could have done about it. In fact, you know, chances are Potiphar's wife probably made the arrangements for this to happen so she could sabotage Joseph. And so, you know, understand that, you know, there might be times where you just end up in a compromising situation. But um, if you find yourself there, you know, do what you can to get out of it because you never know what could happen. And so it says in verse 12, and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass that when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice, and it came to pass when he had heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out, and she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. So this woman was so aggressive. I mean, she literally, she literally grabs a hold of him. And I, you know, and I, I love what he did there. You know, he left the garment in her arms. It'd be like if somebody grabbed my suit and I just, you know, took off running and left the suit in your hand. Three Stooges used to do that all the time. When people grabbed them, they would leave their suit behind and just take off running. And uh, every time I read this story, I think it was Three Stooges. It's just so how carnal I am. But listen, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But this is 2020. But you know what? Sometimes women lie about rape. Okay. Now, I do want to say this. We do have a story in the Bible where we have a very aggressive woman 
who's 100% at fault, and a very godly man who is 100% innocent. However, this type of situation, I do not believe, happens every day. And every preacher that falls into sin these days and does something terrible, he tries to act like he's a joker. And it's just not the case. Okay? First off, these guys don't even run. They always fall, and then they still want to compare themselves to Joseph. They act like every woman out there is Potiphar's wife. And listen, there's Potiphar's wives out there, but they're rare. Okay? They're really, really rare. And most of these preachers that fall into sin, they dove head first. Okay? And yes, some women do lie about rape, but it's usually the guy pursuing. And... I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't believe a lot of these stories these guys tell. I think, I think a lot of them, they try to use this story, and they, do, they, they try to pretend they're Joseph. But, folks, Joseph was an amazing man with amazing character. This is, he is a very exceptional individual. He's somebody in the Bible. We don't see anything negative about this guy. Most men probably would not have done what Joseph did in that situation. I mean, I'd like to think I would. I'd like to think all of us would. But, you know, we don't know. This was a very big deal that Joseph said no in this situation. And I'm sorry, these men that are getting in trouble, that are getting accused, they're not Joseph's. Nine times, 99 times out of 100, I don't think they're Joseph's. But, boy, they sure love to act like they are. And I, I find it revolting. And, again, pastors that get busted for adultery, they should never be restored to a pulpit. I just saw a sermon clip where Cameron Giovanelli was preaching and talking about how, you know, we can restore people, but he's like, but not to hear. Talking about not being restored to the pulpit. And I'm thinking, why didn't you follow your own preaching? You know, and even after, I mean, even after he got busted, he still goes to be a president of another Bible college somewhere. I mean, it's amazing the hypocrisy that's out there. And everybody, all these preachers, they all think they're Joseph. But you know what? I've never been in a situation like this. I hope I never am. But this is another interesting thing, too. When I was ordained, uh, you know, I, when I was ordained, there was a bunch of preachers that uh, privately first went and they asked me questions. And I remember one of the things that was brought up in my ordination by one of the pastors, he said, I believe for every man of God, there's going to be a Potiphar's wife out there. The devil's got a Potiphar's wife out there. It's going to try to trip you up and try to get you to fall in sin. And they were telling about the importance of, you know, staying close to my wife and, you know, being you know, above reproach and all that kind of thing. And, and, and they were all in like, that's right, that's right, that's right. I'm saying, you know, and here I am now, 40. I haven't had a Potiphar's wife. Yet. And, you know, and I hope I don't ever do. You know, maybe I'm just not as, you know, well-favored as Joseph, so I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about it. But these guys I was talking to weren't real well-favored either. And, you know, maybe in their younger days, but I'm thinking, you know, and, but I, I remember hearing that, and I got freaked out. I'm like, man, I, you know, I got to be fighting off the women as a pastor. I, didn't, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really expecting that. I think that's why a lot of these perverts go for the pulpit. They're thinking, you know, that's better than a rock star, you know. I mean, that's why a lot of guys go into that, you know, one of the women chasing them. I mean, I should, and I should be careful. Maybe I shouldn't have even said that because, you know, now the devil's hit me. But I don't know. I just, maybe it's just me, but it hasn't been, you know, I, the Potiphar's wives haven't been coming after me. I hope they don't ever. But um, 
I, I get nervous when these preachers act like this is just a thing they got to deal with all the time. And, and I've heard preachers get up and preach that too. And you'll hear the preachers out there in these Pascal, hey man, that's right, that's right. And, and they get, except like they're all like dealing with it constantly. That's what they act like. And I've always thought that was so weird. I don't get it. But we do want to be careful though, because on our culture today, the women are automatically believed. You know, this Me Too movement is strong out there. And, you know, in this day and age we're living in, you know, everyone is supposed to, it is politically correct to automatically believe whatever women say. And so we need to be extra careful. You know what? We'll get made fun of like Mike Pence for not being alone with women. But you know what? I'd rather get made fun of for not allowing myself to be alone with women than to be getting accused of a bunch of perversion and having everybody believe it. Because guess what? If I get accused of anything, everyone's going to believe it. Not because of my character, not because of my history with women, not because of anything that I have ever done, but because of what I preach. Because of what I preach, everyone will believe it if I ever get accused of anything. Reason Files will have 20 videos on it. And just you're wondering when I'm going to step down as a disqualified pastor, you know, and when you all are going to quit going to a church with a disqualified pastor just because someone accused me. And that's, and I do, I got a lot of enemies out there. They will eat it up. There's all kinds of groups out there that are trying to help IFB abuse survivors. And listen, there's been abuse in the IFB. There's people out there that have been taken advantage of, and it's horrible. That that happens. There have been cover-ups in the IFB. Yes, that is a real thing, and we ought to take it serious. We need to stand against it. We've got to start rejecting these popes that are going and relocating these guys and sending them all over the place, that covering these things up. The, listen, anybody who ever participates in a sexual immorality cover-up should never be a, preaching at another meeting ever again. And the fact that people still go to something like the Preacher's Delight Conference down in Florida... It is, it's one of the things that's wrong with the IFB. It's one of the things that is very wrong that they will, they keep restoring these guys that commit adultery and other sins to the pulpit. That is one of the things that is wrong with the IFB. And you know, a part of me, I get it why the Phil kids are like, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm not IFB anymore. I want to change their name. You know, I, I get it to a certain extent. Because it makes me nervous sometimes because it's like if they're, if they're going to keep doing this kind of junk, it's going to get associated with us. Even though I have never, I've been in church for 40 years almost now, and I have never even been in a church or a part of a church or close to a church where that type of thing has happened. And, and, I, and I thank God for that. I mean, I've never even been to a church where there's been an accusation of anything. I'm thankful for that, but... Because we have that name, Independent Fundamental Baptist, we use that name, IFB, everybody's going to believe it. So folks, you got to, you know what, it might be a little inconvenient sometime, it might be a little weird, you know, if you're not able to come to the church when you see I'm here, you know, if I'm not able to go to your, you know, if I'm never going to be alone with any women, but that's just the way it's got to be. You got to understand that you got to deal with it. Ladies, if there's something you need to do here at the church, you know what you can do? You can call my wife and let her know. You don't need to be calling me. You don't need to be texting me. We don't need anything looking weird. We don't need anything that could be perceived the wrong way. And you need to let her know that way, you know, if I need to, I can leave because we don't need our cars here at the same time. We don't need things looking bad. Understand 
There, because one, you know, there is danger, there is temptation. I'm capable of falling just like anybody else, but I think we need to be more scared just about accusations. So we're going to be picky about this stuff because this accusation, this false accusation where Joseph was 100% in the right, she was 100% in the wrong, you know what? It landed him in prison for a long time. And you know what? I'm not doing no time. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to jail. Okay. And if, and so I'm going to, we're going to do everything we can to protect our testimony. I want to protect my image. And if I have haters out there, I want it to just be because of what I preach, not because of what I do. I'm fine with people hating on me because of what I preach about the homos. I'm fine with people hating on me because of some of the doctrines that we preach. And you know what? You know, there's, but, if people are hating on me because of what I've actually done, there's no rewards for that. No rewards for that. And so look what it says in Titus 2, verse 6. Titus 2, verse 6, because, so, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there, too. They want to blame. This is one of the things that irritates me. The people who look, act like they're standing up against the abuse and cover-ups in the IFB, those same people always want to blame dress standards, and the doctrines we preach on the perversion. You know, even what we preach about sexual purity, they like to blame those things on why there's perversion in the IFB church. I don't know, I don't know how they connect these things, but they do. And it's because, again, at the end of the day, even a lot of these IFB survivor groups, they mainly hate us for the doctrine. That's mainly why they hate us. And so what they'll do They'll find a preacher, an area where there is fault, and then they exploit that, and they use it to attack our doctrine. And that, that is out of line. That is wrong. I don't fall for that. When you are going to go and you're going to start acting all indignant about a pastor being an adulterer, and then I see you out there supporting homos, I don't believe that you really care about sexual purity. You know what? I think you're a flaming libtard is what I think. And that you're just trying to use that because you hate what we preach about the homo. That's what I think is you're going to go find that one bad apple out there, you know, one out of a hundred or I don't know what the percentage is. And you're going to use that because these people are libtards. A lot of these women, every time they're out there bashing the IB, whenever they talk about God, it's always with a little G. Why is that? You know why? Because now they're atheists and they really hate God. They hate what we teach. But that looks bad when you're attacking God and when you're attacking a religion. So what they do, they go and they'll find that one bad apple and they exploit that. But what they really hate us for is what we teach. Don't ever, don't ever forget that. But it says in Titus 2, 6, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. You know, we need to be careful about our rhetoric. We need to be careful about our speech. I'm, I'm all for being zealous. I'm all for being passionate. I'm all for hating on sin. But you know what? We need to be careful about how we put some things. We need to be careful how we word things because uh, if we're not careful, people will use these things against us in a bad way. So again, if we're if we're speaking the truth, it's one thing. But sometimes people just get a little, little overboard. You know, they get a little, it sounds like they enjoy the hate a little too much. 
They're a little too anxious to see somebody die. They're a little too creative in how they want that person to die. It's just like, I want to watch that. Okay. And let me tell you, there's some people out there I really don't like. But, you know, I probably shouldn't get up and talk about them, you know, publicly like that, just in case something does happen to them. I don't want to be a suspect, you know. So we need to have that, you know, we need to be careful with our speech. We don't want them to have any evil thing to save us. We've got enough working against us just with all the challenges that are out there and all the hatred of just what God's word is. I don't need to go giving them more ammo by just saying dumb stuff. I, I don't need that. Again, you know, I didn't write Leviticus 20.13. If I get in trouble for, you know, saying that, I mean, you know, I can't help that. You know, I can, if, if people hate me for saying there's only one way to heaven, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. That's just the fact. That's just the facts. That's what it is. But I don't need to go overboard on things. It says in Matthew 5.11, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We are only rewarded if the accusation is false. Cameron Giovanelli is not getting any rewards for all of the, the accusations thrown against him, because they were true. He actually did this stuff. No, there's no reward for that. You know, there's, there's only judgment that comes from that. And, you know, if we do, if, if I get falsely accused of something, if our church is falsely accused of something, we'll be rewarded for that. But at, at the end of the day, you know, God has to tell us to leap for joy when that happens, because when it happens, we don't really feel like it, do we? And do we really want to get attacked and persecuted just because we were saying dumb stuff or because we just were careless? We, you know, we don't need that. So if we can avoid some of these things by putting some, you know, practices and precautions in place and some safeguards, let's do it. You know, and that will protect us from the evil that will be said about us and it'll protect us from temptation too. So, you know, remember these things, keep these things in mind. It says in 1 Peter 4.14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Okay? It's okay. We, do, we get rewarded if we suffer for Christ, for righteousness. But we don't get rewarded when we suffer for evildoing. A lot of people do bad stuff. They suffer for it, and then they act like they're victims. They act like they're being tested by God. They claim Romans 8.28. You know, and it's like they get thrown in jail for robbing a bank. Well, we know that all things work together for them who love God, them who are called according to His purpose. Really, God called you to go rob that bank? Really? You love God? And yet you're violating His commandments? That doesn't apply to you, buddy. I'm sorry, that's not the way, that's not the way that works. You know, you, you molested that kid, or you messed around with that woman that wasn't your wife, and now you're suffering for it? You're not going to be rewarded for that. You are not suffering for righteousness sake. You're suffering for unrighteousness sake. And there's no rewards for that. You just get to suffer and deal with it and deal with it like a man. So some people are just suffering because they're bad. So verse 17, and she spake unto him according to these words, saying, the Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, 
that his wrath was kindled. Now, you know, I, I can only speculate here. But, you know, a, a part of me thinks there's no way Potiphar believed this story. He was just scared of his wife. You know, there's, there's no way he really thought Joseph did this. But at the same time, it does say his wrath was kindled. And so he might have seen this as a betrayal. I trusted this guy. He was a servant. I've let him live like a king in my house. You know, I did all this for him. And then he turns around and goes and tries to steal my wife. So he might have believed the story. Um, but he could have been given into his wife. Notice how she said to him, the Hebrew servant, which thou has brought unto us. Okay. What's the woman doing there? Blaming her husband. Okay. Women blame the spouse too. Okay. Men aren't the only ones that do that. And that's kind of a, a common tactic with the females is to find a way to, you know, just kind of blame the guy. And so what, and what do we do, men, whenever we're like about to get blamed for something? Any way we can shift the blame, we're going to do it, right? Any way we can get out of trouble, we're going to do it. And so what does he do whenever she's like throwing it his way? You know that servant that you brought in? Yeah, this is what he did. And so, yeah, man, I'm mad. I'm mad. Yeah, let's throw him in prison. You know, and that's what she, you know, because she was just angry at Joseph because she, you know, she was just scorned. She was, you know, shut down and it bothered, it bothered her. And let me tell you, you know what they say? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And this woman showed that. Here he does the right thing and she's willing to let him go to prison over a lie. And this is why, you know, again, uh, I, I, you know, the, the law, of God, it fixes everything. If we had a law that if you accuse someone of something falsely, you know, then you get the punishment that they would have received. I think, you know, rape should have the death penalty on it. So if you accuse somebody of rape and it's proven that you falsely accused, not, hey, they accused them of rape, but they couldn't prove it. No, they proved that you made it up. If they, if, if you do that, then you get the death penalty. Then women aren't going to be, even if, you know, now it's just prison, but even if they would go to prison for something like that, women aren't going to be doing that. You're not going to go to prison if we just can't prove it. Okay? We, you know, and, and this is, that's one of the tough things about sexual abuse. A lot of times it happened years ago and, you know, these predators are smart. They know how to do these things in a way where there is no proof many times. And, you know, that's heartbreaking when that happens. And, you know, obviously people like that should not get in trouble unless it's proved that they were lying. And, and I think if we did that, that would solve all the problems. But I'm not holding my breath for Congress to pass any kind of law like that. You know, the way it's going, it's going to be like when you shoot a guy in self-defense, you automatically go to jail until they figure everything out. You know, and pretty soon it's going to get that way. You get accused of sexual perversion, you know, if, as long as it's male against female, not being a queer or anything like that. It's just going to be automatic jail until you can prove that you're innocent, which is completely unbiblical and unconstitutional, but it's heading that way. And let me tell you something in the online world, okay, you're guilty until proven innocent. Okay, you are guilty until proven innocent. I could go out there tomorrow and I could make a fake YouTube profile and leave a comment accusing myself of something. And reason files will be all over it, making videos about me being an adulterer. 
I shouldn't say that because some weirdo out there is going to do that. And then all all these things that that's just how, that's how wicked these people are. And it's it's sad. There's and you know one of the another horrible thing that you know or a, I guess a a group that nobody things to yell at because you know everybody's always talking about you know, we got to think about the victims we got to think about the victims what about the victims well what about those who are making false accusations making it where nobody ever nobody trusts the real victims you know what the real victims of sexual abuse they should really hate those people these women that are always out there crying rape when they weren't raped they make it so people don't believe it because they're always out there crying wolf they should hate them as much as anybody else and and so you know that that's another thing too because I actually care about real victims, I am disgusted and appalled by people who make stuff up and throw out false accusations. Those, those people should get in major trouble, and it's sad that they don't. But anyway, in verse twenty, it says, "And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison." But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. There's that blessing of Abraham again. There's Joseph. He's a prisoner and yet, he's prospering as a prisoner. And now, what, you know, what did that look like? I don't know if these, these guys' chances are. They were probably laborers. And all of a sudden now, because Joseph is in charge of things, they're getting a lot more work done. They're actually accomplishing things. And then, the keeper of the prison, he just puts Joseph in charge. Again, like, hey, he's running the prison better than I am. You know, when I was running the prison, I was beating these guys with a whip, and they weren't getting hardly any work done. Joseph somehow is able to motivate these guys. And who knows, maybe Joseph's like, hey guys, you know what, if we work smarter, we can get a lot more done, we can have some actual free time. And then all of a sudden, I, I don't know what all happened, but Joseph, he obviously had a great deal of wisdom. We're going to see later what he does to help Egypt get through the seven years of famine that was coming. He was a very wise man, and he was very good at what he did. And at the end of the day, God was just blessing him in everything that he put his hand to. And you say, well, how could God be blessing him in this situation? He's in prison. But, you know, spoiler alert, this was, a nece this was necessary so he could eventually stand before the king. Were it not for Joseph spending that time in Potiphar's house, were it not, if it weren't for Joseph going to the prison, he would have never had that opportunity that Chief uh, Baker or Butler, whatever, whichever one it was, would not have known, hey, there's a guy in the kingdom that can interpret dreams. Joseph wouldn't have been able to interpret that dream and literally save Egypt and save his whole house. But God knew all this was coming. So even though the, there were some bad situations here and bad circumstances, God allowed Joseph to go through Potiphar's house. He allowed him to go through that time in prison, but God still blessed everything that he did. And while I'm sure you know, things were better for Joseph in many ways back when he was at home with his father, you know, his time in prison probably wasn't that bad if things are prospering and things are going good. So just uh, amazing thing, the way God was with him. And so it's that blessing of Abraham again. So something we can learn from this, too, 
is that we should make the best of any situation we're in. And let me tell you, Christians, we're often the best at just pouting sometimes. We, you know, we say we're not prosperity, you know, we don't believe in the prosperity gospel and all that stuff, but yet we act like Romans 8.28 means all things are good. But it says all things work together for good. That implies there's some stuff in there that's not so good. And that is the Christian life. There's things that just aren't so good. Things that are problems that we have to deal with, but we ought to make the best of it. You know, and man, do we not need this in 2020? This is 2020, the year of broken dreams, you know, the year of canceled events, you know, the year of craziness, the year of tyranny, the year of everybody hating each other and choking each other. I mean, just the year of violence, an election year, tornadoes, fire tornadoes, murder hornets. Um, what else bad has happened? You know, lockdowns, COVID, I mean, just all the, all the things that happened. And, hey, we still got a few months left. Think, you know, you think about that, but you know what? We can still make the best of it. And, you know, and I think we have. I mean, what, you know, I, I hate to say this, you know, after all the complaining we've done, but, I mean, this has still been a pretty good year for our church, hasn't it? I mean, our attendance has been good. We've got the new building. You know, we, I mean, we're all supposed to be broke by now. And I know... It's all got to fall apart eventually, all right? But, but it hasn't yet, okay? The Lord's blessing us. He, you know, things are going good, and we've just been just trying to make the best, even though things have been difficult, even though, you know, it's made soul winning more challenging this year. We haven't been able to have a lot of the bigger events uh, like we've been planning on doing, you know, in a lot of places and a lot of areas. It's just not been as receptive. Um, you know, I, I, I just had it knocked on the door uh, Sunday, it was kind of weird because the guy like came to the door and you know he you know did this you know he wanted me to step back and then you know he let me talk to him and everything but it was just you know people people acting weird you know they're they're acting weird and it's it's made things difficult but you know you try to have fun with it and a lot of inconveniences you know it's it, it's it's no fun being told to wear a mask everywhere you go not getting to see anybody smile and just playing pandemic what it feels like sometimes but at the end of the day you know one of the problems of this pandemic is quarantine weight these are the problems that we're having you know because we all get to get quarantined and our house that has you know we're housed with television and live streaming and internet and video games and food and you know these are the these are the these are our side effects that we're having. I, I put on a few pounds this year. I think part of that's from quitting Walmart too. But you know, there, you know, there was a while I wasn't able to go to the gym. But you know, we we got to make the best of these things. And if Joseph wasn't complaining, you know, we should probably watch that. And some of our complaining, I, I'm, I'm not going to pick on y'all for complaining too much. You know, sometimes it's just therapeutic. Sometimes we do it for entertainment. Right? It just makes you feel a little bit better. You know, when I worked at the distribution center, we complained all the time. You know, I, I complained about it. Just, it's, it's therapeutic. I don't know. You say that's bad therapy. It probably is, but it, it made me feel better. You know, and uh, I, I learned that. I learned that from a job I used to have. There was a guy I was friends with, and, and that's just what we did, man. We, like, got pleasure out of talking about how horrible our job was. 
And to listen to us talk, I mean, we were in bitter, hard bondage, you know, just like the Egyptians in Egypt. But, you know, the thing is, we all could have quit that job at any time. You know, but it's just what we did, and that was probably a bad habit. I did that job for two years, and we did that kind of thing all the time. And then now it's just kind of how I, I deal with stuff. I complain about it. And it makes me feel better. And that's probably terrible, but um, old habits are hard to break. But but either way, you know, if we're miserable, if we're unhappy, it's our fault. Y'all understand that? I'd love to blame, blame Pritzker for all my misery and all my woes, but I can't. Okay, I, I can't really do that, and um, not trying to stick up for Prisker. But if if I'm if I'm miserable, it's not his fault; it's my fault. And so, just because things are out of our control, it doesn't mean they're out of God's control. So we should all strive to be like Joseph. We should see ourselves as overseers of what belongs to God. Joseph showed great character in this story because while he had been put in charge of a lot. He wasn't in charge of everything, and he did the right thing in that situation. And we, and so too many people, they're just too attached to the things of this world. And we've got to understand, you know, there's nothing in this world that compares to the eternal rewards that are going to come. And so at the end of the day, nothing is ours, okay? You know, your family is not yours. Your job, your cars, your money, all the, everything you have, it is not yours. It is God's, but God has allowed you to be overseer of these things. And you need to recognize the fact these things belong to God. I should not do anything with them that he would not want me doing with them. And if we would have that attitude and we would do great things with what belongs to God, if we would increase what belongs to God and you know perform his will with what belongs to him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to entrust us with more. And who doesn't want more? Hey, we're also Americans. We want more of everything. You know, we want super duper size, you know, French fries. You know, we want, you know, 62-ounce Cokes. You know, we want 95-inch TVs. You know, that, that's kind of how we are as Americans. Well, maybe we could get more from God if we would have that attitude that it's his. Let's use it. Let's multiply it. It's not mine. I'm just an overseer. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with it not being mine and just being in charge of it. If you lived in a multi-million dollar mansion and you wanted to make me overseer of it and I got to live in there like it was my house, I wouldn't care that I didn't own it. I wouldn't care that it wasn't my name on the deed. I, it should be cool I got to live there. And you know what? The Lord has given me a great wife. He's given me seven, almost eight now wonderful children. And at the end of the day, they're not mine, they're his, but I get to enjoy them. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, and so I need to make sure I don't do anything with them, though. He wouldn't want me doing. That's against his will, and that needs to be our attitude. So great lessons from Joseph. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this wonderful example of Joseph that we see in your word. I pray you'll help us to be like him. Help us to realize everything we have belongs to you, and we're just overseers of it. And I pray we'll use what you've given us according to your will and for your honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.